This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Things that happen to you become the basis of jokes, and then and then you kind of twist the truth a little bit. But I think a lot of the source of material is is things that really happen to you. Welcome to where East meets West. I'm your host, Sister Jenna, and we are so thrilled to be having this collaboration with America Meditating Radio and Epilogue as we continue to find ways and how to bridge these two incredible cultures of India and America. Being somebody with Indian heritage and an African Caribbean heritage, like our Vice President of the United States, I am completely enthralled by the possibilities of us bridging any divide and really coming closer together to find harmony and to create a better world. Today, you're going to laugh a lot on the show. We have the wonderful comedian Dan Nainan, who is an incredible young man and who's been doing so much work in charity with his humor. He's, he's got an upcoming book coming out. But let me give a little bit of an introduction of Dan. Dan Nainan is the world's only half Indian half Japanese, 100% clean comedian. He has performed for President Obama, President Trump, Hillary Clinton, Ariana Huffington, Michael Bloomberg, Kamala Harris, to name just a few. Dan has performed in 28 countries on five continents and has visited 50, 63 countries total. He's also an actor and voiceover talent, having appeared in the Apple Get a Mac commercial on Billions, Saturday Night Live, Family Guy, and two feature films, The Hoax and The Last Airbender. Before becoming a comedian, Dan was a senior engineer with Intel Corporation in Silicon Valley. He later left his job with his Intel to pursue comedy full-time. In December of 2015, he suffered a traumatic brain injury by falling and hitting his head at a gym. He nearly fell into a coma and he had to undergo surgery for an epidural hematoma. It took about eight months, but he recovered fully. And we're so glad to have him here with us on Where East Meets West to bring some laughter and some light. We go way back because he has performed for one of my big events at a gala that we held for our 20 year anniversary here in Washington, DC. So Dan Nainan, thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you so much. And it's so nice to see you again. It's been such a long time. Yeah. So how have you been coping with the COVID? Has there been like any major developments emerging for you? Well, believe it or not, um, before the COVID, I was sporting a little bit of a belly and that has completely gone. And uh, the benefit from not eating out and traveling so much is actually being able to go to the gym. I, I mean, I had six months off from the gym and I lost 12 pounds of muscle and I was only 163 but I've been working out religiously since September and I've gained, I'm thank goodness I've gained back about 13 pounds. So that's been a, a silver lining of the virus. <laughs> so, I got you. I got uh, you. I have to tell you too, I've not been gaining and I've been so happy about that too. I've been just keeping it really in check. Well, listen, you know, East meets West is all about cultures like ours. Uh, we are mixed. You are yes. half Indian, half Japanese. I'm half Indian, half Caribbean, African. 
Right. And the way like we the vice president. In, and the way we come into the world is a little different. I mean, I have to tell you from my perspective, I live my life with this vision, Dan, of the whole world belongs to me and I belong to the whole world. I'm not leaning too much on my Indian side. I don't lean too much on my African side. I'm just in the middle. What's it like being being multicultured? Well, I'll tell you, if nothing else, uh, growing up, the food was amazing because uh, Indian food, Japanese food, and of course, American food. So I guess you could say for me, for us, life was a bowl of rice. I mean, it was, it was great from a culinary standpoint. And uh, so, I mean, it, it's great to have uh, two cultures, all three cultures, as you probably know, is to be, um, you know, Indian, Caribbean and American. And it's, I think it's, it's the best of everything. Me too. Have you ever found yourself sometimes, cause I do, I have, but sometimes you would be like, Oh, you know, this particular part of my culture, mm, don't bring it here. And then I would also recognize certain other aspects and say, oh, definitely, I want to bring this everywhere I go. Have you ever found yourself being very, very clear in what are some of the strengths with all the cultures that are, you know, working through your personality? Well, I, I see from the Indian side, um, you know, the large majority of my clients and the shows I do are on the Indian side. And Indians are very self-deprecating and they love to laugh at themselves and so you know you can sort of make fun of indian people and and they just really love the good humor um the east asian side the japanese side i haven't done that many shows but at the same time what i take from the japanese culture is the politeness and i guess the cleanliness and uh the i mean the manners and so forth and the respect for elders and so forth so I think it's possible to take the both uh, the best out of both cultures, honestly. Interesting perspective. I'm remembering one of the jokes you gave at our program, and you said, um, "With Indian, with Indians, if you have something giving up for free, they're like, give me two, give me three, or something." But do you remember that one? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we we are known we are known for being frugal. Some would say cheap. But I, I think that that says a lot about the culture because if if you can impress upon a child, say the the need to be frugal and save your money, and as you know, Indians are the most successful minority group in America, and I think a lot of that comes from 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 being frugal and not throwing away money. So I, I think that's a, a benefit, and I have learned. I mean, I'm like cheap squared. I mean, I, I know how to save money. Um, and I think that's a part of that culture that I'm very proud of. I mean, I, I get my books and my DVDs from the library. I don't, I don't buy them. I mean, I mean, I could give you a thousand examples like that. So that, that's an upside to the culture, I think. Well, that is something I know that on the Western perspective, we really need to develop that because yes. one of the limits that I've noticed is that many folks grown in the West, they're not really good savers. Majority of Americans right now are living paycheck to paycheck. And this is why, yes. even as a result of the pandemic, it's been really, really hard for some Americans to really, you know, put food on their table or to even have shelter over their heads. So it's been a rough time. Yes. So is there, any, 
Is there anything that you're working on now that we, that I just don't know about that is just really exciting for Dan Nainan? Um, well, let's see, there is, uh, I've done a number of virtual shows, including three charity gales with Vivek Oberoi, who is a huge actor over in India. And he was doing it at five in the morning. He was kind enough to wake up and raise, uh, or do the fundraising part of the gala. And, and, and we smashed through the goals of the fundraising for the charity. That was amazing. And I, did do one Indian wedding in a person. It was outdoors in Houston, which was amazing. Uh, I've done a ton of virtual shows, corporate shows and birthday parties, the, the usual shows that I do, but online. So that's been great. I have a book coming out about my whole story. Uh, there's a lot of surprises in there that a lot of people aren't aware of. And uh, I talk about performing. But you met a yogi sister in Washington. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. And um, also have published a book actually about Van Halen as well. I, I'm not the author. I'm sort of the co-author. Published a book about Van Halen, which is selling great. And But I'm really looking forward to the release of my own book about my own story. And also trying to get a sitcom placed uh, about, uh, closely follows my life as well. That's been written by an amazing writer who wrote a hundred episodes of the Jefferson's golden girls married with children. And, uh, it's very, very funny. I think. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You are one of the few comedians who have decided to keep comedy clean. I love laughing and I love comedy, but it's so hard to bump into a comedian in which you can bring the kids, you know, to, to that event, you can bring them into the space. And not only is your comedy clean, but it's good. And it makes sense. What got you on the path that if you were to tell stories and make people laugh and, and mock folks that you would keep it clean, what was going on in you that you just kept it clean? I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that if I said any swear words in public, my parents would kill me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that it has a lot to do with it. And, and also there's a, a saying amongst comedians that clean leads to green. And so if you do clean comedy, you can do corporate events, charity galas and birthday parties and so on. When I do Indian events, uncles and aunties always come up afterwards and say the same thing. That was so much more interesting than the usual singing and dancing. And they're very happy that I keep it clean. So I can do a party for 80 year old birthday party and uh, the uncles and aunties, as well as the kids can listen and, and no one's going to be offended. And so I, I think if nothing else, it, you have a lot more opportunity if you do clean comedy, certainly the clubs and, and comedy central and so on, have a lot of profanity, which I think, you know, Russell Peters or whoever, uh, I, I think he, that kind of comedy can be very funny and I can appreciate it. And I write those kinds of jokes or I write them down, but I give them to my friends because I don't, I don't use them. So, I mean, there is a place for all kinds of comedy on TV, Comedy Central, et cetera. But there's a large uh, contingent of clean com comedians who do casinos, cruise ships, parties that isn't quite as well seen, but it's a huge market. Know that, you know, 
coming from your background, you're highly educated and you're in the IT world. What, what, what's, what got you on this path of, you know, going up on the stage, making yourself so open and accessible to people to think whatever they want to think about you, to actually do comedy? What was happening with Dan Nainan that he dropped his career and just went out there on the ledge to fulfill this? What, was this a passion or a dream? It, it sort of happened by accident. I was working for Intel Corporation, and my job was to travel with the senior executives, including the chairman and president, et cetera, at, and, and go to events all over the world and present technical demos on stage. So they'd be making a speech, say, at the Taiwan Tech Forum or at uh, GSM World in Cannes, France. And, and then they'd say, we're going to bring Dan on here and he's going to do a couple of demonstrations of the latest speech technology or graphics, et cetera. And I would present on stage and I was, I mean, I was very adept being, uh, the, doing the technical part, you know, setting up the computers, installing the demos. In fact, one of the jokes I use is that when I applied for the job at Intel, they said, you're Indian and Japanese. You don't even have to interview. Right, <laughs> but but the tough part was speaking on stage in front of thousands of people. So I thought I need to do something to get over the fear. First, I went to a Toastmasters club that we had on the Intel headquarters campus, but that was twelve, fifteen computer nerds like myself, and that wasn't that scary. So I thought I'm going to take a stand-up comedy class. And if I can do that, then hopefully the fear of speaking in public will go away. And it totally worked. It was amazing. My first show was at a club in San Francisco. Uh, people were dying laughing. I took that tape to Intel. They had me perform at an event in Las Vegas uh, for with the Intel team, which led to my third show, which was in front of 2,500 Intel employees at a sales conference. And a number of People came up afterward and said, now you're not really an Intel employee. You're a professional comedian who was hired to pretend you're an Intel demo. I said, no, no, I'm really an Intel demo guy. And that was, that was the first inkling I thought that maybe I could do this for a living. Well, do you remember how you felt when you went on stage for the first time? Why I'm asking is, what if there's someone out there that would really love to change their careers or really, you know, step into something that is of a passion, but they're not confident enough I mean, what was it like? Did you feel the fear of, wow, what if this doesn't work? Am I making a fool of myself? Were you nervous when you went on the stage for the first time? Or were you feeling like, ah? <laughs> it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. That and bungee jumping and skydiving. It's the first thing is you get up on stage. And even though it was packed, 300 people in the club, you realize that you can see a few faces in front. And then you can't see anybody else because the lights are so bright. Um, I've heard from people who perform, say, at Madison Square Garden, uh, that there's 20,000 people, but you really can't see them. You can only see the people in the front and because of the lights. So that is very disconcerting. So, yes, it is, is a, it's terrifying to do that for the first time. Now, if you've done it a thousand times, then it's a lot easier, right? But the first time is scary. But... As far as people, people trying to do something like this that's out of the box and creative and requires, um, 
you know, some real guts, uh, I would say go for it because the rewards can be amazing if, if you can do it. Just, just doing it one time even is worth it. Nice. There are a lot of Indians right now that are stepping up to becoming comedians in India, and it's become a really, really big thing. And um, many of them are working jobs, and at nights they're going into these, you know, improv spaces and and doing their comedy. Where where do you pull your jokes from? Uh, What does a comedian, what does a soul who plays the role of a comedian where does he pull the stories from? How, how do you see things the way you see it? Let's say that, yeah, I see that Indians and then I might say, yeah, they're cheap. So if you say it for free, then they'll come and they'll take two. How are you able to find <laughs> that humorous and go, yeah, but let me explain. No, Like, where do you pull the jokes from? I, I think there's two kinds of comedians. There's the ones that say, okay, like Jerry Seinfeld, I'm going to sit and I'm going to write for four hours today. I can't focus like that. Uh, the other kind of writing is something happens or you see something and then you think, ah, I might be able to make a joke out of that. For example, um, I was hit by a car in November uh, of 2019. And I noticed that the taxi driver who hit me was Indian and the doctor who treated me was also Indian at the hospital. So I thought, okay, so one Indian tried to kill me and the other one saved me. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I got like 25 jokes out of this. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I can tell them to you, but, but you know, everyone was just, uh, I was on the way to physical therapy for my shoulder when I got hit and I called them and I said, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it because I got hit by a car. And they said, well, that's terrible. Um, maybe we can sign you up for some more appointments. I mean, you know, real, real life things that happen to you become the basis of jokes. And then, and then you kind of twist the truth a little bit, but I think a lot of the source of material is, is things that really happen to you. Um, my, my friend wrote the most offensive joke. He said, I, I don't want to say that all Asians look the same, but all Asians with masks look the same. <laughs> that to me was, oh, that is me, but I can get that. I get that. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to use that one, but I just think it's so funny. And, so, you know, you, you think of something funny, uh, you hear something funny in conversation, you write it down, you try it in front of an audience. Uh, if it works, you keep it. And if it doesn't work, you, you, you throw it away or you fix it. And, and so th- this is the basis of where comedy comes from. It's from all, it, it can come from anywhere. Now, one of the things that I'm so proud of you for is that you have performed in front of some of the most prominent people globally, whether it was President Barack Obama or President Bush or President Trump, or maybe the future, um, maybe the next one will be President Biden, who knows. But despite all of them, you've, you've done a lot of shows. Was there one for you that kind of stuck out for you that really touched your heart? After that performance, you just felt like, wow, that was really precious. I think that, well, first of all, I, I have not performed for President Bush. Um, I did perform for Trump and Obama, and, and those were certainly wonderful, wonderful. Um, I think the shows I really like are when I'm making a difference. And uh, I like to donate my CDs and DVD sales uh, and not just a portion. I, I donate the whole $20 times however many I sell. And I, I like the ones where it, it'll be like an animal charity or a charity for children. 
or a charity for um, domestic abuse, which is a large number of charities, unfortunately, in the South Asian community. I think, um, and, and sometimes I'll have these testimonials with kids in India on a, on a live call and whatever. So those are very, very fulfilling where, where I, I feel like I'm making some sort of a difference uh, in that way to whatever, whatever the cause is. So those are fulfilling, of course, performing for Trump and Obama and getting to meet them. And, and both of them, surprisingly, were both very, very nice to me. I, I, and also got to perform for, I think, a future president, uh, Kamala Harris. And I, I've got to get that video of her saying Dan is funny up on, on my reel as well. Um, and that was, uh, that was wonderful. So, um, Oh, and 50,000 people, 50,000 people in Times Square as well. That was, that was quite an experience. After a while, no, when the audience gets that large, you just step into another zone. It's no more about one or 50 million. It's just you and your talent, isn't it? Well, it's funny because if you're in a smaller crowd, that is more nerve wracking. I found, I found out after my first big crowd, opening for Russell Peters for 2000 people, I was terrified. And then I realized a big crowd is better because see, people are self-conscious about laughing when there's 30 or 50 people, but when there's 2000 people, everyone laughs at once because no one is self-conscious. So it's actually easier to perform for larger crowds, believe it or not. It becomes more unlimited. You ever had a, you, have you ever had a performance that you felt like, oh, I was awful. And if you did, how did you get back up from that? And let me tell you something. That is the worst feeling in the world. And that, that's going to happen to any performer because there's, there's a, a, I guess, a gradation because even the greatest performers, musicians, whatever, will say, oh, that was a terrible show. Uh, I have had shows. Uh, it's not that often, but I've had shows where like nobody laughed. I remember it was a corporate event for a tire company in Birmingham, England. And I had just done... Uh, a show in Dubai for the same company, which was fantastic. So there are many shows that that go really well. And when a show goes great, it's the greatest feeling like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm on top of the world. And when you have a terrible show, it's like, maybe I should get a job. <laughs> you know? And it's the most, it, it's the most humiliating thing. But, but the way to you pick yourself up from that is just to say, you know what? Um, that's a, that was a bad show. Uh, I'll fix what I can and the next show will be better. And then you have a great show and then you're like, okay, then you feel great again. So, you know, I didn't know that you were supporting so many charities, a lot of celebrities and entertainers. There's um, a sort of a stigma connected to them that they can sometimes be very self-absorbed. Um, and yes, if you endorse a product or you endorse somebody, it's fine. It's just a part again of building your brand. But one of the things that I've often wished is to see a lot more celebrities or people with influence to be able to offer their brand and the energy of the people that follow them to causes. You mentioned domestic um, domestic abuse. That's been a huge one, especially during COVID. Is yeah. there any particular reason why that's been one of the causes that you've been supporting? Because Sometimes you can't find a lot of humor in that at all. Well, I, I think, um, you know, if it's something that is very upsetting like that, or I mean, I did a fundraiser, which was actually, that was the one with Hillary Clinton at Christie's. And that was after the tsunami. And um, there are a lot of uh, causes I work with where it is very uh, 
sad and touchy subject matter. However, um, that isn't really something I would joke about if I were performing. I mean, if, if I'm at a domestic abuse event, which I've done many of, I mean, I'm not going to start making jokes about domestic abuse. That's not, you know, that wouldn't really work. Um, it's more just, you know, I just go about and do my regular humor and, and, and make people laugh and sort of forget about things for a while. And then, and then, uh, realizing that the, the event is to raise money and, and to donate the, the CD and DVDs and hopefully soon the books sales. And, um, so I, I think I wouldn't talk about, I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't make jokes about uh, domestic violence or, but I, I would, yeah, I, I would, as being the MC, I would, you know, say, you know, this is a great cause and so on and on. And, and domestic abuse is, it's a very, very important cause. And, and something like 80% of women are even too afraid uh, to report that they're being abused. So, so this, we need to do this to raise awareness. And then that's separate from telling jokes, maybe at a different. But thank you. Um, just thank you for doing that and giving back in the way that you have. I think it's been. important, it, yeah. Yeah, it's so important nowadays. So as we come to a close, you know I love laughing, and I want to laugh until I turn blue. <laughs> I mean, have you got any new stuff, materials that you've been working on that we will get a little peep preview? Well, you know, that doesn't really ever really work for one person, <laughs> but I mean, you have a great sense of humor. Oh, come on, just imagine I'm like a million people. <laughs> You're talking oh boy. to me. <laughs> um, I'd probably do my uh, Trump impression, but uh, uh, that might not be too timely. Uh, Ian's love here. Trump. <laughs> well, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. I'm absolutely fantastic. I'm absolutely fantastic. Now, Vice President Pence was a fantastic vice president because I chose him. But I think for 2024, I've got a new vice presidential candidate myself. Instead of Trump, Pence 2024, it's going to be Trump, Trump. 2024 or Trump squared. <laughs> and the best part is if I'm impeached, I get promoted to president again. So, you know, that might be a reality, Dan. <laughs> you never know. You never know. It's crazy. But, uh, you, you know, the, getting hit by the cab, uh, it was, you know, I, my, I, I wrote a whole routine about it. I said, you know, my, my sister cooks and um, I have actually have a $2 million life insurance policy since I had my brain injury. Uh, and so she, she gets $2 million, uh, if I die. And, uh, when she cooks for me, I said, you know, this food's tasting a little bit funny. And I said, was there a sale on antifreeze? She goes, no, 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 that's kale. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I, never I actually tell, never tell your relatives what your life insurance policy amount right. is. <laughs> and, and then I got hit, I got hit actually in front of the New York life building. This is true at 27th and park. I got hit in front of the New York life building and I have a life insurance policy with New York life, believe it or not. And I asked them if they could get me the, uh, the video, the security video of me getting hit. And my friend said, why do you want that? I said, well, I can put that on my acting reel and prove I do my own stunts. So, uh, <laughs> so there, there were like 25 jokes like that I've written about the, uh, about the getting hit by the car. So, so it just shows you that, or the brain injury I had, it's, it's an infant, but I, you know, I'll, I'll have to get you a clip or something and you can maybe put that in the intro or something, or maybe you already have since we're doing this after <laughs> the intro. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Now, Nainan, you have been such a joy. Um, thank and you, you as well. for bringing, thank yeah, you. thank you for bringing joy to our world, especially 
at a time when, you know, some of us are struggling to keep it real and to keep it happy and to be inspired. And the fact that you're living here in the West and you have such deep roots in the East and, you know, here you're bringing the best of all that you are to the world. And thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank for you that. for all you do. And, and, you know, the, the, I mean, I mean, you're, you're doing, I guess, God's work and I'm just a clown. <laughs> but uh, when, when I went to that event in Washington to see her um, and, and, and that speech or, or her talk, I mean, it was just, you know, put the phone down and, and, it was wonderful to uh, be part of that. That really uh, affected me, and it made me think. And, and then, and then, sitting across from us, I said, "Hey, you're going to hit the tables now." <laughs> that was a very she, lovely night. Huh? She, she, yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you for having me there. And again, thank you for all you do and, and working with all these wonderful people. It's incredible. Mm. Well, Dan Anen, thank you for joining us for Where East Meets West and for bringing more light into the strength of these both cultures. I keep believing that if India and America can just become one, the world will become heaven. I believe there'd be a golden age because there's such good qualities with these both dimensions. And who knows, maybe it'll happen. I'm maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean, Indian culture, you know, having it here and having people laugh and, and again, you know, being willing to laugh at themselves and, and, and enjoying. And I mean, it is a tough time, but, you know, perhaps laughter can help bring some light to, to people while they're going through this. That you do. Thank you so much for joining Where East Meets West. If you like the show today, please let us know. Drop us a DM or a comment at a blog on Instagram or on our website or go to America Meditating and let us know how you feel. Don't forget to subscribe and keep in touch. All the very best.